The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters podcast. We're very excited about uh, sharing with you some of the most profound but yet simple truths that are available from the Word of God. Well, let's talk about the importance of Godship. I mean, even the term Godship is oftentimes creating questions in people's minds in regard to what is that. It is not a common word that is used today because even though it is in the Webster's Dictionary, but it is in Webster's Dictionary because one of my mentors coined that particular word as we coined the term generation's ears. We got to get those things coined so they get into the dictionary so that people can start using those terms. Well, this is one of those. And of course, God's ship is like fellowship fellowship is who's in your boat, who you're hanging out with. Godship is basically who is your God? Who's the one guiding, directing, or is the captain of your ship? So statistics reveal to us that the number one psychological issue addressed in counseling is, listen carefully, people who have to be in control of life. How many of you, parents and grandparents or aunts and uncles, get annoyed when a child is constantly asking you a question? It's like you have this bowl of of SketiOs and the three-year-old or four-year-old says, what you eating? You show the SketiOs to the child, and the child says, well, what is it? Now, there's two ways that a parent can go. Honey, remember, these are SketiOs, and you have them almost every single week. That is basically confessing they're stupid. So answering a question that they already have the answer to is the violation of the millennial generation. So this is critical. That people who are constantly, constantly asking questions are really begging for control over you. In my office, they slip through once in a while, but rarely. Because stupid questions do not need answers. Do you understand that? Stupid question is a question someone already has the answer to. What they're really asking for is control. So now when you lead that person into the issues behind true control, Godship, man, you talk about getting reactions. You want to know why that the average person around the world who has attempted to go through the Identity Matters workbook can't make it through the rejection chapter, and that's chapter two, and they put the book back on their bookshelf, if not throw it away? 
This is why. People don't want others talking to them about their control issues, even though it's the number one reason why they go for counseling. It is a bit on the crazy part of reasoning. So what do you do with that child who's asking this constant, not just about the Skedios, but anything? What's the child really hunting for? Interaction, which equals relationship. They don't want to lose you. So they ask repetitive questions that are stupid. Now, stupid is not a swear word. Stupid is simply, in the tech context of which we are using it, is asking questions you already have the answers to. Well, what colors the sky, God? Why, why do we have clouds, God? Why do we have sunshine, God? When you already know. So what is the child of God really wanting here? Contact. Dialogue. Relationship. That's what we have to look at. So here is our overall statement about Godship. A simple turn to describe what the world defines as the number one problem in life. Mankind attempting to function as their own God in the lives of self, others, and God. Here's what it boils down to. Millennials, listen to me very careful. We make fun of you a lot. But I'll tell you what, they made fun of us too. I'm from the hippie culture. I smoked more pot, took more acid, dropped more speed pills than than my brain obviously could even remember. And they made fun of us hippies. I was a Jesus freak. I believed that Jesus smoked pot. I helped create the millennial Jesus. Millennials, you got that from our generation. You didn't originate the millennial Jesus. We gave him to you all dressed up like a hippie. You just stuck great-grandma's shoes on him. (laughs) Put a little makeup on his eyes. You know, you did your cultural bisexual additives. And now Jesus is bisexual. He's gay. He's lesbian. It's whatever you want him to be. That was my godship in our generation. So not to make fun of you, it is to point out a key thing that's going on inside your culture, and that is saying it this way. Yes, it is functioning as their own God in the lives of self-others and God. It's basically saying this, I'll decide for myself what is true. I'll decide what is true for you. In other words, if you don't believe like I believe, then (laughs) you're not going to hang with me. And then what it ultimately does is looks toward God, even though few shake their fist at God. There are many 
that do overall. But we'd look at God and say, now it's your turn. You think my thoughts. Okay? That's our culture today. My thoughts are God's thoughts. My ways are God's ways. So I'm a gay pastor. See where it ends up? And God uses my church and my preaching and whatever. Really? How does that work exactly? But that's what's happened. So this includes suffering with divorce, suicide, eating problems, depression, or any other common problem of the self-life. Most of the time it falls under the category of God-ship. Leaving us with the question of who is the God directing our ship. Finding ways to fix the fix that God has fixed on you to stop you from fixing your life and fixing the lives of others. And ultimately, if you can imagine this, trying to fix God. So when people come out with these theological statements of who God is and what he meant by what he said, they are trying to fix God's poor theology. Do you understand that? The revisionism of theology is fixing God's problem of what he originally said. He no longer says it that way because I can show you in this translation that that's not what it says. So the culture rewrote the word of God and what God meant by what God said and then they're having the new generation use that particular Bible and it is whacked out because they were fixing God because he messed up by what he said. And that's not going to work. So the initial problem becomes trying to fix God. It's not really fixing others or it's not fixing you. The fixing you helps you become opinionated, fixing others. That ultimately does the greatest offense known to mankind, fixing God. So our ministry has learned that the act of playing God helps us identify the real problem in each of the lives that we reach out to. We have also learned that the most common consequence of Godship is rejection. Every one of these messages you're going to listen to have a link connecting them. So Godship is what we're talking about now, and we're going to link it to rejection. By the time we get to flesh, my flesh, I'm going to actually show you a video we put together regarding chains and how they work. Because then the enemy has you. Everything's connected. You attack someone's rejection, you're going to get Godship. You attack someone's idols, you're going to get rejection. You're going to, everything is linked. And that certainly has to be reviewed. So our purpose for this teaching is real simple. Godship is seeking to be your play God in one's life or in the lives of the people around him or her. And Godship is the root of all problems, both angelic and human. Godship is the first 
and the last sin committed in heaven by Lucifer. Lucifer wanted to be like God and thus committed the first act of Godship recorded in eternity. So why would he come up with a new plan? When he hit the face of the earth, he did exactly what it was he did in heaven, use God's word against him. You see, but God's a God that's not going to tolerate those types of mind games. He looked at Lucifer and said, be gone from me. And he was removed from heaven, quote, unquote, like a bolt of lightning. No connection. You see, that's where we get what happens to those who refuse to receive the indwelling life of Christ. In the end, we end up in the same bracket as Lucifer. Get out. No connection. No signal. So he had to move Adam and Eve from this point of connection to God connected to the umbilical cord of God, to no connection, no signal. He used God's words against God. Did God not say that if you, did God not say? So when I look at it and I see the full culture of our church today, preacher after preacher after Sunday school teacher after Bible study leaders saying, did not God say? And then they preach their heresy. It's confusing to a lost mind, to a sharp, edged mind, someone who has the mind of Christ inside them. It's simple stuff. It's not in what God said to me that changed me. It's in the fact that he put himself in me that changed me so I could have his thoughts that's the difference well if you have people walking around the earth that can't say it like that problem thus we have our message of Godship here's how it works guys in our standard setting diagram that you're looking at Starts out as setting standards, desiring others and God to live according to these standards of man. Two, once that standard is set now, whoever sets that standard has the right to demand absolute obedience to that standard. So you control freaks, I'm in there with you. You control freaks, you get that standard out there because... You can't require your sister, brother, child, grandchild, friend, neighbor, whatever. You can't demand them to keep to your standards unless you're opinionated. As soon as you're opinionated, then you've got your standard out there. And if you say, thus says the Lord thy God, then they give you this long explanation. I want to puke. Because it isn't about the standard that makes them feel better or a standard that delivers them. It's about God put himself in me through Christ because Christ put himself in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit put himself inside me. Therefore, I am of the I am. That's what changed me. 
Not his Bible. Not his laws. Not his stories. Not his endless writings through other people. It's the touch, the moment of transformation through the indwelling life of Christ. Nothing matters more today in our preaching. Is it you doing it or Christ doing it? Nothing matters more. Write your endless books on theology of the hangnails of Paul. Boring. Usually there's money behind that stuff is what motivates them. So you set the standard, you get to demand obedience. The one who demands obedience is the one who gets to judge. You say, well, I'm not judgmental. Oh, you're mental, all right. Because you have to be in charge all the time and think that you're the judge. It's causing mental problems. And they'll even admit to that. But they won't connect the two. Judgmental. In order to be judgmental, you have to be unforgiving. In order to be unforgiving, you have to not let go of issues. This hangnail hurts! Can't you see it swollen? Maybe you should stop biting your nails. That won't even make a difference, because they won't do it. It's a flow. It's going to take us to the bottom. So the one who sets a standard gets to be the one who demands obedience. The one who demands obedience gets to be the judge. The one who is the judge gets to hand out the sentencing. And that is seeking revenge. Godship is the coined word for vengeful people. That's what it is. Then you have the one who is seeking revenge, paying the sentence out. That could be, well, I'm not going to talk to you, or I'm going to be rude to you, or I'm going to, you know, bomb your house, or I'm going to start a rumor, or, you know, there's a long list that comes with this seeking revenge thing. Well, the one who actually hands out the consequences, like God does, becomes God. That's the confession. Well, the one who seeks revenge is trying to have control of self, others, and God. I would love to see this. I've told this to the Lord so many times, it's ridiculous. And I'm like a little kid that does ask him questions that, you know, I've been curious about. Like, Lord, I can't even imagine... Some kid standing in front of the God of the universe and beyond and arguing with them. I mean, I, I, I can't even see it in my mind because the presence of authority causes you to be speechless and without words and bow. And that's why every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow when you're in the presence of the power of God there's no more questions do you get that that little person that vapor that's standing before the everlasting powerful God says 
I got a question about the hangnail that never really healed over the 60 years of life I've had. They won't get that far. They'll confess, wow. Here's the truth. I wasn't of it and I'm on my face bowing because I can't do anything else. Not because they want to. Even Satan's going to bow and say those words. That's really the impact behind this. And that person is trying to control all of life is exercising independence and that is what I think is what matter. Well, what in the world are you asking my opinion for? Do you see that paradox? These people are asking for counsel they don't want. So they come to you and they say, I have a problem with OCD and um, I really want to know how I can get out of this. You won't. There's nothing you can do about OCD. Satan is a perfectionist. And you have followed him so long, you're OCD. You are doomed with this. Unless. Then you give him the truth. Christ is not OCD because he fulfilled the law. He already cleaned the kitchen. So you release that in your decisions every day. You're not OCD anymore. You're a responsible believer. Really? Is that possible? As that's a willing, hungry, indwelt. And if you share that answer with an OCD, statistics already prove they go right back in deeper to their OCD as a believer. They beat you with the Word of God. And they use excuses from the Word of God. Thank God Jesus is blah, 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 blah. And you look at the person and you go, why do you always talk to me about the hangnails then? I'm not getting this. When Jesus had every piece of flesh ripped out of him that possibly could be ripped out of him, sweat to the point of sweating blood, agonized in, in the pits of where Satan lived at the time, lower parts. And we complain about our hangnails. I was doing a little complaining this week and I got a little return text back from one of my favorite people here on earth anyway, James McDonald. He put me in my place. So whatever your trial is going on today, remember this. And it was a hangnail versus your sister's being molested in mid-Africa by Muslims today. Should we still talk about your coffee being warm? See, that, that is what this is doing. It's refocusing. There's nothing new in what we're sharing today. Nothing. It's just realigning with the thoughts of God. That's all it is. And you, and the, and you have your aha moment, which is a point of transformation. You go, wow, I've been walking in selfishness again. You get realigned. It's not because you're an idiot. 
It's because you're being realigned. So then it results itself into asking help and guidance from nobody. The third most defining belief of millennial generation is I don't need guidance from anyone. I can literally take you through this list of culture because it applies to everything. The truth being in our next diagram where it's God's prerogative, he's the one that sets the standard. He's the one that demands absolute obedience. He's the one that gets to be the judge. He's the one that takes revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He's the one that controls all the universe, all of your life, my life, and any life that's ever going to be born or has been born. He's the one that exercises independence because honestly, there is no other God to go to that's bigger than him. Being at the top is truly lonely. Except for those that are with you that are obedient. Jesus. His obedience was perfect. So they are unified. Holy Spirit's obedience is perfect. So the Trinity. And he wants the bride of Christ to be instantly obedient. So there is immediate fellowship. And unity. So we're not lonely. The end result of Satan is he was put into loneliness, which is one of the Hebrew definitions of darkness. Loneliness. Number one psychological problem that people have today is suffering loneliness. This is how it works. God's the one in control of life. He exercises sovereign independence. He seeks out praise, worship, and honor from others. So when we are wanting the praise of others, the thumbs up in Facebook or, or the baiting people to get the compliment or whatever, it's beyond Godship. It's satanic. And God will not give you a compliment because you demanded him to give you one. People need to begin to talk to God as if he is in the room. And there's this awe of respect before you dare come out with a question that is stupid. Because when that awe of respect hits you, your questions become more sensible, so to speak, to God. Because what you're wanting to know is, please, God, redeem my mind. Line me up with the way you're thinking on this issue. You'll have him at your beckoning call that fast. Instead of telling God to do by these rote prayers that we do, in Jesus' name I pray for healing for Bob and believe, you are telling the God of the universe what to do. Instead of joining him in his sovereign plan for Bob. Maybe he wants to bring Bob home. Maybe it isn't about Bob. Now there's Godship all over our church. Finally, the judging good and evil. You've got God's law, which is absolute. So whatever God out of his infinite goodness, justice, love, states to be ultimately for man's blessing and God's own glory, 
That's what goodness really is. And evil is whatever God rejects as being inconsistent with his perfect righteous and therefore against his good purpose in the world. This diagram was put together in the 70s. We had no idea how prophetic it was. This is our relative society today. What is relative? Whatever personally thought at the present to be beneficial to the greatest number of persons or to the persons of greatest importance. Mega churches. Mega ministries. Doesn't mean because you're mega you fall into the gutship church. I'm just saying we're driven for numbers versus for life. And all God needed from the originals, two or more gathered my name, and I'll get her done. That's Jesus' way of thinking. So evil to mankind is whatever is rejected by the, the present consensus and therefore perceived as being bad for society. So to have the true truth-sayers and the true truth-saying churches to be the bad churches today is not really much of a surprise to me. We will be whittled down to a very, very, very few people. The road to destruction is so wide we can't even count the people on it. The road to eternity through Christ Jesus is very narrow. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that passage is taken from an actual physical place in the Middle East. The eye of a needle is compared to this story where a city was built on the inside of this this cavern rock area, and the only way to get into that city was through the eye of this, between these two rocks. You couldn't get your, your donkeys through it. And that is what he was referencing. Same thing when he was talking to the rich man, it's easier to, you know, get a camel through the eye of a needle well, they had to leave their cannibals on the outside of that rock and walk through that passageway to get into their city. Pictorial. That's where it comes from. So here we have this narrow, narrow, narrow passage, and there's very few that are going to be allowed into that city. But the pathway to the rest of the world is wide. So we're going to be the rejected, the persecuted, the distressed, the difficult ones to deal with. But you know, I'm going through the rocks. Man's relative conclusion of God versus God's absolute conclusion of himself become huge. And what happens is the three kingdoms, here's what we got going on. Kingdom one is person number one. I don't care if they're saved, unsaved, indwelt, following, and walking in the Spirit or not. This is just person one 
and person two. And within that, you have body, soul, spirit. You have the triune of God literally pictorially demonstrated in creation and the way he created man, that's body, soul, I'm talking to you, and spirit, the presence of God. So body, soul, spirit, body, soul, spirit. In the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. You have the tri-unit of the soul. Each of the three pieces are divided into three primary parts. Like a human cell, correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, but in a human cell, you have three main parts. At least that's what I learned in endocrinology. The soul, mind, willing, emotion has three parts, obviously. And then the spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is in design to reestablish or to establish for the first time the Trinity, the authority of the Trinity. That's why it's the subtitle of our book. Kingdom one person or kingdom two, whoever kicks out the, the fight, the argument. And a Godship statement is picked up. It can be sweet like Jesus told me this morning. Oftentimes wonder who their Jesus is. Because Jesus doesn't say that. You know, I had a guy, excuse the terminology, but I had a guy this week say, Jesus kicked my ass this week. Really? That's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't kick anyone's ass. He leads them to him and delivers them. There's no kicking. You see, that's our millennial Jesus. And then when they think it's the real Jesus, you kind of have to look at their statements to define whether they're of the millennial Jesus or the real one. So you grab the real Jesus, come back with correction, and which I did, and he says, well, you know what I mean. No, I don't. Is he kicking your ass or are you suffering consequences because of your godship? That's what I would like to know. That clarity of thinking takes discipleship, i.e. what we're doing today. So they start warring with each other. The war is really not becoming God of the other person because they kind of know logically that's illogical. So what they do is want control of the third kingdom, the relationship. I think one of the most frustrating things that people have shared with me through the years, and I've been doing this 40 years in the tiny little piece of the vineyard I've been a part of, counseling, God only knows how many people and preached and taught and massaged these truths into people's life over and over and over. I don't calculate that stuff, but it has been a long time. So when someone comes up with some bogus theology, and I step forward, I'm kind of used to what's next. So therefore, I usually ask questions that are, I already have the answer to. The Lord told me many years ago, master this, master this, master this, master this. Only ask questions you already have answers to. 
or they will prove you are a failure. Then I get accused of baiting people, and I go, of course I bait people. (laughs) That's what we do as believers. Lead people to Christ. Well, you got some bait, and the bait is truth and word form. So they grab a hold, and you lead them to a relationship with Christ. So the three-kingdom fighting usually results in one thing. Division, divorce in marriage, divorce in friendship, divorce in family, whatever. Division. Independent gods. There's Satan's goal for you. So this next diagram basically depicts you take something that's righteous and you step off and over the boundary line of the will of God and that righteous thing can be sin. For example, using the term ass. Jesus kicked my ass. There's nothing wrong with that statement. Verbally. Theologically, it's very bad. It's way over the boundary line. But the term ass, people typically like to use words to shock you or to express their emotion. So the term ass is a donkey, no matter what dictionary you look in. You take it outside the boundary line and you have a swear word. Shyster, shit. Shyster is a true word defining stuff that comes out of us that is waste product. You take it beyond the boundary line and you have something used in frustration or condemnation. Reading the Word of God is great, awesome. You take it outside the boundary and put it over here, and you are a knowledge freak. Do you see how it works? Everything starts out righteous. And Satan wants you to take it over the boundary line to have it part of his domain, his way of functioning. So a lot of you theologians that are listening, you just realize that you do this? Ask yourself whose seminary you're participating in. Finally, the fruit of the Spirit is only released if you stay within those boundary lines. As soon as it steps outside, as soon as joy steps over that boundary line, joy turns into happy. I just want to be happy. God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. Or he's a liar. There was nothing happy about Jesus' life. But joyful? He had a lot of joy. Here's our bottom line. Most of the time, believers fall under the category of Godship, finding ways to fix the fix that God's got them fixed on from always trying to fix themselves, fix others, and fix God. That's the bottom line of this. It's fixing. All the other details we covered are extremely colorful. It is bottom line you need to fix in order to be in control because when you're in control, you're happy. 
And what has God got to do? Use trials, tribulation, persecutions, and distress so that you can say this comment, quote-unquote, therefore I am well, well content, which pictorially means living in a tent with holes. I am well content with persecutions, with sufferings, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. So when you're trying to get self, others, and God to make you stronger and get it, you're never going to get it. Understanding is birthed through distress. Ask Jesus. He'll tell you the truth. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.